Grab your Bibles with me and uh, go to 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, we're in this series called On the Ground, learning how do we live out our faith in this crazy world uh, that we're dealing with right now in a way that honors the Lord and, and makes much of Jesus and spreads the gospel and all those great things that we've been called to do. And so today, Peter's going to press on us in a new area, um, and that is the idea of being a peacemaker. All right, the message today is called the humble peacemaker. And that's, peacemaker is not a word that we use a lot of times today in our kind of common vernacular. Um, you really, about the only place you really hear the word peacemaker is in relation to the Bible. Um, one of the most famous maybe verses in the Bible for this concept or idea was Jesus when he was talking to his disciples. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, All right? Matthew 5, 9. And so this is there's something to that, right? God is telling us, like, there's a blessing in this for you. Uh, if you're a peacemaker, that's a blessed thing by the Lord. And so it's important for us to know, what does that mean? How do we do that? How do I be a peacemaker? What does that look like in my life? And I think Peter gives us some really good handles for that today. But I was reading this story this week that I thought illustrated the, the concept well. So there was a story about this Christian, Christian soldier who was, um, you know, in, living in this barracks with his unit. And every night when, before he would go to bed, he would go to his bed and he would sit down, he would pull out his Bible, and he'd read and he'd pray before he went down for the night. And there was this other soldier kind of like across the aisle that was just like going at him, man. Like every night, just calling them names and reviling them, just making fun of them and just giving them a hard time because of his faith. And, and one night it got so bad that this other soldier takes his muddy combat boots and chucks them across the room at this Christian soldier that's reading his Bible. So the guy just kind of kept going and and the next morning, when they woke up, this antagonistic soldier across the way found his combat boots, cleaned and shined at the foot of his bed, ready for inspection. And as a result of behaviors like that, many of the men in his unit actually came to put their faith in Jesus Christ because this soldier, this Christian soldier, was willing to bless the one who was being his enemy at the time, right? He was willing to be a peacemaker even in the midst of a hard situation. And God used that for his glory and for his namesake. And that's what Peter's gonna be talking to us about today. And what we're gonna see is that being, being peacemakers for the sake of Christ is important, but it's also, it comes with this great promise from God for us. And so here's kind of the main idea this morning. God blesses peacemakers, so be a peacemaker. <laughs> like I, I know it's pretty simple and straightforward. Like we all want to be blessed by God, right? Like that's, that's something that we want as Christians to have God's blessing on our life. So Peter's pretty clear. Like if you want to be blessed by the Lord, like here's one of the things you got to do, be a peacemaker. And so let's see what he has to say about that. Look with me at verse eight. We're going to pick up right there. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble Mind. So I'm going to pause there. So the first thing we see in this text is Peter's telling us that to pursue peace with believers through the character of Christ. So the first area that we need to be a peacemaker is right here in our own church, being peacemakers with one another. Let me see, let me show you what he's talking about here. So the first word he says there is finally, which is signaling that he's kind of ending something here. He's not ending the whole book yet. It's not the whole letter's finally, but it's the finally of this household code that we've been studying for the last several weeks. Remember we started by, he started talking to citizens and here's how you deal with the government and then slaves and masters and husbands and wives. He's been going through all this stuff. Like, here's how you live in the family of God. And then he says, finally, here's the last piece you need to know. All of you, not just certain labels, not just certain groups, but everybody in the church 
needs to have these five character traits. Notice, they're not behaviors. They're character traits. He doesn't say go do these five things. Because peace really isn't about um, behaviors. True peace is about the heart. Right? And so what he's emphasizing here is that relational peace is rooted in attitudes, not actions. Right? It's rooted in our attitude of our heart, not just the actions that we show to other people. And if, if, you know, a great example of this, if you're married, you've, you've no doubt experienced this and seen this, that sometimes it seems like there's peace on the surface, but underneath, <laughs> not so much, right? The heart's not there, even if the actions are being peaceable. I read another story this week. Maybe you've heard this one. But there was this husband and this wife who were fighting and they were into like a multi-day argument and they were giving each other the silent treatment now for several days, like just, and nobody wanted to break the silence. Like nobody wanted to give in and admit defeat, (laughs) defeat, if you will. And so, but the husband had a problem. He realized that the next day he he needed his wife to wake him up at 5 a.m. so he could catch his business flight for the week. And so not wanting to to give in, he he took a piece of paper and he wrote a note and he said, please wake me at 5 a.m. And he left it on her pillow so he, she, you know, so he knew that she wouldn't see it, and he went to bed. So next morning, he wakes up, he looks at the clock, it's 9 a.m., he's still in bed, he's like, wow, he's furious, he jumps out of bed, he's like, why didn't you wake me up? And as he gets out of bed, he looks over at his nightstand, and there's another note, says, it's 5 a.m., wake up. <laughs> um, so sometimes it seems like there might be peace on the surface, right? Things are going okay, but underneath there's this heart attitude. And if you've been married for any more than a week, like you know what I'm talking about, right? Like the meals made, the chores are done, the lawns mowed, the kids are taken care of. Things seem to be functioning normally, but there's this undergirding conflict or anger or resentment or bitterness in the heart. And when that's there, that's not really peace. Even if you're not going at it day to day, that's still not peace if there's something unresolved in the heart level. And that's why Peter here, he addresses the heart with these character traits. So let's look at these five character traits that he points out here. First of all, he says you need to have unity of mind. Now remember, this is with fellow believers in the church, right? We need to have unity of mind, which literally means to be like-minded, to think the same way about things, to, to, to be looking in the same direction, to have the same focus. And obviously as the church, our same focus should be to glorify God, right? To, to, to model after Jesus Christ, to, to love others, all these things that God has given us in his word to do. And if I'm gonna be focused on that, if we're all gonna be focused on that together, that means I can't be focused on me, my selfish desires, my interests, what I want, that's what divides us. But when we all have the same vision and focus, we're like-minded and we're moving together, that brings peace in the body of Christ. But it starts with having that same source of Jesus Christ as our foundation for all that we are and think and do. So first we need to be like-minded or unity of mind. Number two, he says you need to have sympathy. Sympathy means to enter into the life of other people. Right? When they're experiencing joy, great. You go experience joy with them. When they're experiencing pain, you experience pain with them. You walk with them through their life circumstances. Um, Paul captures this really well in Romans 12, 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Right? In the good and the bad, we're walking together through life. We're, we're sharing experiences uh, with our brothers and sisters. That's sympathy uh, as it's you know, thought of here in this list. So unity of mind, sympathy. Number three, brotherly love. Brotherly love. 
Now, we've talked about this a lot at our church throughout the years. You know, love, biblically speaking, is an, um, an, um, an action, not just an emotion, right? Our, our culture thinks it's an emotion, right? Love is just a thing that you feel. Eventually, you don't feel it anymore, and then you leave, and you go love somebody else. That's not the way the Bible talks about love. In the Bible, love is a choice to choose to act towards someone with love. We define it as you be for me, right? Like putting others before myself, putting them first. That's love in the biblical sense. But here he calls it specifically brotherly love. Again, pointing to the fact that he's talking, this list is about the church. This is how we're supposed to love one another in the body, right? Not just our family, not just our people at work. So they think that we're a good Christian, but like actually in the church family, when we don't always agree on stuff, guess what we're supposed to do? Love each other. Wow, what a, like, you know, mind-blowing concept. And so Peter is saying, like, listen, this should be the, the culture of who we are as a people. We have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. Number four, tender heart. This kind of pairs up with sympathy, but it's not just stepping into their experience, but having a loving concern for others, being willing to help them when they're in need, right? Not just sit with them, but actually help them. And this, this isn't out of pity, or guilt, or like, oh, I got to help this person because, you know, whatever, they're in my small group, or whatever the thing, like, this is out of genuine care and concern for other people, right? Like, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. If they're hurting, if, if something's wrong, like, if they need help, we should be all hands on deck to help and to care for them, um, and, and that also means that some of us need to get a little bit better at receiving help when we need it and being able to swallow that pride a little bit and say, yeah, I could use a hand with this. But tender heart. And then number five is humble mind. And the emphasis there really is on the humble part. Um, think of others over yourself. That's humility as Bible talks about it. In Philippians 2, 3 through 4, Paul says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. And I think that last phrase there is really what captures the whole idea of what Peter's laying out here in these five characteristics is think about the interest of others before the interest of yourself. We got to get to this place where in church, it's not about me. I'm not here for me. I'm here first for the Lord and secondly for the body of Christ. And he's calling us to be peacemakers by loving and serving and being humble with one another. So this gives me, leads me to three observations about peacemaking in the body of Christ in the church. Number one, it prioritizes the community over the individual, which is really challenging for our culture. Because our culture is all about the individual. But here the Bible says, no, the community of faith is more important than we are as individuals. What is, the question is, what's, about, um, what's best for the church as a whole rather than what's best for me as an individual? One of the authors I was reading this week, one of the commentaries, Job, said this, there are qualities that presume a high commit, I'm sorry, these are qualities that presume a high commitment to the stability and well-being of the community, the church. Modern Western concepts of individualism tend to trump commitment to community. Where commitment is found, it is often evaluated in terms of individual needs. An individual whose needs are no longer met by a community 
terminates the commitment and seeks a new and more obliging group. Such thinking runs counter to the qualities of 1 Peter 3.8. Like-minded implies a willingness to conform one's goals, needs, and expectations to the purpose of the larger community. In other words, it's not about the church meeting my needs. It's about me meeting the church's needs. Right? I'm not talking about the church, the organization, or the building. I'm talking about the church, the people. Right? That we're here to love and serve and to be for one another in the community of faith. To truly live in peace with fellow believers, we have to die to ourselves and put the family first. So that's the first observation. But then that leads me to a second observation is that's not natural. <laughs> like in our natural flesh, in our natural beings, we don't do that. Right? We are sinners. We are um, the opposite of that list. We are divisive. We are sinful. We are hateful. We are selfish. We are hard-hearted. We are prideful. Without the help of Christ, without the Holy Spirit in us, we're not going to be able to do this. Flat out. Which the third observation then is, our only hope is Christ. The only way we can be the church that God calls us to be, that he tells us to be in these verses, is if we put all of our hope in Christ and we allow him and his Holy Spirit to change our hearts and to make us like this. Do you understand that when Jesus Christ came, he came on a peacemaking mission. That was Jesus' whole purpose. He was a peacemaker. His purpose was to bring peace between us and God the Father. Between our sin and his wrath. And as he came, he had all all these qualities that Peter tells us to have. They're actually qualities of Christ, right? He was like-minded with the Father. The Father had a mission and a purpose. Just, all right, I'm with you. We're going to do this. And he came on this peacemaking mission. He entered into our broken humanity. He sympathized with us in our sin. And he came and he lived among us in this broken, crazy world. And then he loved us as brothers and sisters, so much so that he was willing to give his life for us the ultimate example of love. He was concerned for our souls and for our eternity enough to actually do something about it. And he didn't live for himself. If there's anything clear in the gospel accounts, Jesus didn't live a single day for himself. He always lived for God first and for others second. He was humble. And we're called to be like him. It's what Christians are, right? They're versions of Christ. To be peacemakers with one another. And what Peter is saying here is like, listen, if, if you're truly followers of Jesus, if you're truly the church, then live like Jesus. Be a peacemaker. So I think as the church, we have to ask ourselves a very important question. That's this. Does my character pursue peace with others? at your own heart, when you look at your own character, does that create opportunities? Does that create an, uh, an opening for others to be at peace with you? Or is your character always creating conflict with others? That's a telltale sign, right? We should be embodying the character of Christ that creates peace among the body of Christ. But there's a second thing about peacemaking. That's with the body. That's with, within the church. Look at verse 9. He goes on, he says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, 
For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For, and then he quotes here Psalm 34, he says, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Second point today is this, pursue peace with enemies through the blessing of Christ. Pursue peace, not just with the church, but also with our enemies. So he starts off with this phrase, do not repay. Do not repay evil for evil. That means don't seek revenge, right? Don't retaliate. That's, that's the way of the world. That's the way of the flesh, right? When somebody comes at us, man, we just go right back at them. That's what our flesh wants to do all the time. <laughs> but he says, don't do that. Don't repay evil for evil. And then later on he says, turn away from evil when he's quoting the Psalm 34 down there, right? In other words, don't respond in kind. When someone sins against you, when someone hurts you, when someone does evil against you, don't respond in kind. And when I had this conversation with people on an individual basis, like in the counseling room, they're always like, but, but you don't know, Micah. You don't know what they did. They deserve it. Like what they did wasn't fair. It wasn't right. And so like, you don't understand how bad it was. Okay. Maybe I don't. Pretty sure Jesus does. And he says, don't repay evil for evil. Or maybe I would say like this, don't answer sin with sin. Right? When they're sinning against you and you, and you just turn around and sin right back against them, they're, they're, they're just drawing you in to the sin that's already created in their lives. Like, why would you do that? You're just giving Satan an even bigger door in your life and in that relationship. He says also, don't repay reviling for reviling. And then later on in Psalm 34, he says, keep the keep your tongue from speaking deceit or speaking evil. You see, the mouth is oftentimes the easiest and quickest way for us to repay, isn't it? That's always the easy, like just the, to shoot back, you know, some snide comment or some smart remark or some name or, or some, oh yeah, but you, da, 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 da. And the mouth is so easy to get into slander and gossip and false talk and foul language and hateful speech and just tearing others down with our words. And so he highlights this, don't revile when you're reviled. You know, many ways, verbal attack is actually even more painful and damaging than physical attack. You know, growing up, I used to always hear that saying, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will false, wrong, The words stick. Some of the wounds that we're carrying around right now, it's not the physical ones. It's the words that were spoken to us when we were kids, when we were teenagers, when we first got married. Right? And so he says, don't revile when you're reviled. Hold your tongue, keep the words, because that's not the way Christ did it. You remember just back in chapter 2, we just heard about Jesus and how he handled this. Let's go back and look at that. Look at, go back to chapter 2 in your Bible there. First Peter chapter 2, look at verse 21. Peter writes this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He was like, listen, Christ never repaid. He never reviled. He never responded to sin with sin. And so Peter says, as Christians, you don't do it either. Don't repay evil for evil. Instead, he says, on the contrary, bless. Bless your enemies, he says. Now, not like human blessing. Right? He's not telling you, like, praise them. Like, oh, you're such a wonderful person, and you're great. And like, we, Again, you don't need to lie. Right? Like, we don't need to. It's not a human blessing is what he's talking about here. He's talking about the blessing of Christ. The blessing of the gospel. That's what people need when they're in sin, right? I want you to think back with me. If you're a follower of Jesus, think back for however many years ago it was that you first came to Christ. When you were lost in your sin, when you were walking and speaking and doing evil, someone came and blessed you with the gospel of Jesus Christ that opened your eyes and turned you away from sin and to the grace of God in your life. That's what people need when they're our enemies. That's what people need when they sin and do evil against us. When we were enemies of God, Jesus didn't respond with evil. Jesus didn't respond with revenge to our sin. He came and he gave his life and he blessed us with his grace. Right? This is all just rooted in the gospel is what Peter's saying here. We were rebellious sinners. We were going our own way. We deserved wrath and hell from God. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he didn't return sin for sin. He came down and he said, you know what? I'm going to give my perfect sinless life for you. I'm going to go to the cross where you should be. I'm going to die your death. I'm going to pay for your sins so that you can be saved. And he went to the grave and three days later he rose back to life to show us that he was God and to offer us salvation, forgiveness, to bless us with the forgiveness of sins if we will turn from sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ. I hope you've done that today. If you haven't, today can be your day. But if you have experienced that, Peter's saying now it's your turn to turn around to bless others in the same way that you've been blessed with the gospel. Sinners need more Jesus, not more sin. When that person's coming at you, when they're, you know, maybe this is not even the first time, maybe this is the fifth time or the tenth time or the hundredth time that they're sinning against you, that they're speaking evil against you, that they're doing something. They don't need more sin back at them. They know what that looks like. They know how to do that. What they need is Jesus. They need the gospel. They need you to bless them with the same grace that you've been given. Go on in, down there in, in Psalm 34, when he's quoting it, he says, just like Jesus, do good, right? How did Jesus do good? He showed love to us while we were still sinners. He says, seek peace. How did Jesus seek peace with us? He came and he offered forgiveness for our sin. You want to seek peace with that person in your life that's sinning? Offer them some forgiveness and see what happens. And then I love this. He says, seek peace and pursue it. He puts it on us. He doesn't say wait for them to pursue it. They're enemies. They're lost. They don't have Jesus. They're not going to pursue it. They don't even know to pursue it. 
but you do. Right? You've experienced the grace of God. So now it's our job to pursue peace with them. But they're the ones in the wrong. They should, I know. I know. And God says, pursue it with them. Some other scriptures, just so you don't think that this is like the only place the Bible says this. Jesus himself in Luke chapter 6, 27 through 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to, to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Just straight ahead. Romans 12, 17 says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Paul again, 1 Thessalonians 5.15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Like sometimes the scriptures are like, what does that really mean? This is pretty clear. Like there's not a lot of debate here. So he says, bless your enemies. But then he says this, to this you were called. When you were called to follow Jesus Christ, you were also called to pursue peace in the face of sin. That's part of your calling. That's part of your responsibility, just like Jesus did with you. The Bible says that we're supposed to be agents of reconciliation. That we're supposed to be seeking peace and reconciling others to ourselves and to God. We're supposed to seek peace, not wrath. Forgive, not punish. In order to lead others back to Jesus and to the grace of the gospel that's been given to us. This is, listen guys, this is some of our best witnessing opportunities. Some of your best chance to tell somebody about Jesus and to lead is to forgive and to bless someone who's an enemy and doing evil against you. Because they don't know what to do. It throws them off their game. Right? Like, man, something's different here. Don't miss those opportunities. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a, a pretty well-known missionary couple. If you've been around church for any length of time, I'm sure you've heard this story or these names. But um, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot were um, missionaries, along with a couple other couples, to the Akua people. Um, and this, this particular tribe that they were going to try to reach had never been reached with the gospel before. No one had ever talked to them. They were very violent. They were known for killing people and, and doing great acts of violence against each other and against outsiders. But they really felt a burden to take the gospel to them. And in the first attempt to try to make contact with these people, Jim Elliott and several of the other men were speared to death, were killed by the tribe. And after his death, Elizabeth, his wife, decided to stay in the area and to continue to try to make some way into this people. And she came to a place where she forgave them and eventually was able to reach in and speak with them through a couple other ladies and led many, if not all, of the tribe to the Lord, including one of the men who killed her own husband. Because she was willing to bless her enemies. Because she was willing to be a peacemaker with those who had taken someone very dear to her. She saw it as an opportunity for the gospel. When sin affronts you, be a peacemaker. That's what he's called us to. And so the question is this, do I pursue spiritual peace when faced with sin? What's your reaction? 
When someone sins against you at work or in the neighborhood or on the ball field or at church, unfortunately, sometimes here too, what's your response? What do you do? Do you revile? Do you turn back? Or do you pursue peace? Do you bless them with the grace that's been given to you? So pursue peace in the church. Pursue peace with our enemies. Then there's one more thing here. Look at verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Last point. Pursue peace with God through the power of Christ. Pursue peace with God through the power of Christ. So he starts here, he says, again, this is still part of Psalm 34, but he says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Now, when he says the eyes of the Lord, he's drawing attention to the eyes of God because he's saying, listen, I know that God sees everything all the time. Like we all know that, right? Like God, God sees everything and everybody all the time. This is different than that. This is like he's purposefully looking He's searching. He's, he's giving specific attention with his eyes to this type of person. And his ears are open to them. He's attentive. He wants to hear from them. Like a loving father who's looking after their child and wanting to respond to their prayers and respond to their requests. But it says the eyes of the Lord are open. His ears are open to the righteous. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't help much. Right? We're not righteous. We're unrighteous. We're sinners. We're broken. We mess things up all the time. Like just this morning, we were getting ready and we're yelling at kids. Like, we're not righteous. So what hope do we have in this? We have the hope of Jesus. Because if you've turned from sin and you've put your faith in Jesus, you might not be righteous on your own, but Christ comes and the Bible says that he clothes you in his righteousness. We call this the great exchange in the theological world. That Christ came and he took away all of our sin and he gave us in return his perfect righteousness. So though we might not always act righteous, when God looks down and sees us, he sees us as righteous through Jesus Christ. And so if you're a follower, if, you're, if you've been saved, this is you. God's eyes are on you. His ears are open to you. And as the Holy Spirit comes and that power lives in, within us, he starts changing our hearts to live out the righteousness that Christ has put in us. Because there's no way we can do this on our own. None of this. But through the transforming power and love of Jesus Christ, his righteousness flows through us as we follow him in faith. And this is the key to being a peacemaker. It's got to start here. First, make peace with God through Christ. Then peace will flow from your heart to others. We talk about the vertical a lot here, right? You got to get the vertical right first. First, it's between, I got to have peace with God before I can have peace with anybody else. And that peace comes through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then once I have that, then I can be filled with the Holy Spirit and grace can flow from me to others on this earth. And back in verse 9, he also said this about the, the peacemaking. He said, that you may obtain a blessing. Now, the word obtain there, um, sometimes that can mean like earn, right? Like you work for it and you obtain it. That's not what it means here. Obtain there means more like inherit, right? 
Because as you put your faith in Jesus, we don't do that through works. We don't earn it with God. But as we put our faith in him, he blesses us, right? He gives us the great gift of eternal life with him and in him. And we get to inherit this blessing from God. And the part about the blessing is it's not just like the streets of gold and the mansions, okay? If that's what you're looking forward to. The blessing is God himself. It's his presence being with us. And we don't even have to wait for that. We have that right now. That if we're walking in Christ and his righteousness, that we have the blessing of God on us and with us from now all through eternity. So we have everything we need to be a peacemaker for the gospel. If you have trusted in Christ and have been saved by his grace. If you haven't, There's one more line in here that Peter has. Look at the last line. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, without Jesus, all of us, without Jesus, we will just continue to walk in sin and evil all of our days. No Jesus means no righteousness. And no righteousness means no peace with God. And as a just God, he turns his face against those who reject Jesus Christ. Evil only leads to anger and wrath and death. Never peace. So if you want to have peace in your life, if you want to have peace with others, if you want to have peace with God, The question is, do I have peace with God through Jesus? Have you put your faith in him? Have you trusted in him to save you from your sins and to change your life? If you haven't, I hope you'll do that today. If you have questions about that, if you need somebody to talk to or pray with, I'm going to be available after service. I would love for you to come and talk with me about that. Let's get it done today. Let's get you some peace with the God of the universe. True peace only starts with Jesus. You got to trust in him. So once again, this passage tells us that God blesses peacemakers. So be a peacemaker. (laughs) Church, Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, be a peacemaker. This is what we're called to. This is what God has put on us. And so I just want to ask, is that you? If If I went and asked your kids or your wife or your husband or your neighbors or your coworkers, Would they label you as a peacemaker? Would that define who you are in your relationships? Have you found peace with God through Jesus Christ? Have you extended the peace of the gospel to those who sin against you? Have you postured your heart to pursue peace with other believers through Jesus Christ? God blesses peacemakers. So let's be peacemakers with Jesus. And I need a lot of help with that. Anybody else? Amen? So let's pray and let's ask the Holy Spirit to work in us the word of the Lord this morning as we respond. Stand with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, this, this feels feels a little heavy this morning 
It's good, we know it's true, we know it's right, Lord, but we feel the weight of this as we are so inept at it on our own. So Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to make peace for us and to save us from our sin. And God, today we, we, we trust in you, we trust in Jesus alone to bring peace to our souls. And we pray that you would now help us Help us to spread that peace to others. Help us to love our enemies. Help us to serve our brothers and sisters. Help us to be peacemakers every moment of every day through the power of Christ living in us. Lord, we cannot do this without you. We need you, Christ. We need you, Jesus, all around us, all the time, every day. Do this in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.